The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing. I'm Les Aria. And I'm David Hanscom. And today we're going to talk about a series of lectures or podcasts on disruptive thought patterns, or what I call the curse of consciousness. And this is a big deal. This is one of the biggest problems that I'm running across ever in my patients, my clients, my friends, my colleagues, and me. And we're gonna share my story of obsessive compulsive disorder, but it's not what you think. So we're basically looking at disruptive thought patterns, which is sort of the bane of the human existence. And it's actually more of a solvable problem that you, than you think. So the purpose is that every person has to deal with unpleasant thoughts and they are problematic in that we cannot escape from them. That's absolutely true, David. And so let's start with a quote for today. How about this? There is something wonderfully bold and liberating about saying yes to our entire imperfect and messy life. Tara Brock, meditation teacher and world-renowned expert on acceptance. David? So what I like to point out, there is deep, deep, deep research on this, on these disruptive thought patterns. The research term is called URTs, unpleasant, repetitive thoughts. And so I call it the curse of consciousness. And what we're trying to do here over the next um, few months is actually go into detail about the nature of the problem. And the problem is essentially is this need for mental control. So that's why we put this quote up about Tara Brock that there's something bold and liberating about saying yes to our imperfect and messy life. What Dr. Arya has taught me is that one of the basic core solutions to the need for mental control is developing, you call it psychological flexibility. Is that the term, mm-hmm. Les? Yep, that's it. And what do you mean by that? Psychological flexibility can be actually thought of in three steps, sort of noticing what shows up, opening up to what showed up, and then going about your life, having value-driven behaviors, like who or what's important to you. That's what psychological flexibility is. So the nature of the problem is this, is, and this is pointed out in a very famous essay that we'll put into the show notes called The Seed of Our Undoing. This is written by some of the top psychologists in the world. 
But we all know that when you try not to think about something, you think about it more. And the problem is you think about it a lot more. There's a huge trampoline effect. You've all heard about the thing, don't think about pink elephants or pink monkeys or white bears. And so what happens is you suppress thoughts, they become stronger. But what's even more ironic, and they actually call it the ironic effect, is that when you try to think something good, you actually go the opposite direction. In other words, if you try to be happy, the research shows you'll end up being very sad. And what, what we'll point out is the unconscious versus conscious brain. Because remember, the unconscious brain is designed to protect you. It's always looking, for, always looking out for trouble. And it's so powerful that the unconscious brain always wins. So the nature of the problem is that we have thoughts, we have human consciousness, we have a language, we cannot escape it. And it turns out that thoughts are as much of a threat to our body, unpleasant thoughts are as much of a threat to our body as a physical threat. So my cat has a physical threat or your dog has a physical threat. He or she deals with it and moves on. Humans have language where those thoughts are as much of a threat as a physical threat and we can't escape our thoughts. So if we try to suppress the thoughts, it's in trouble. We try to substitute new thoughts for it. That's trouble also. And we're going to show you ways of, of I'm going to say, escaping the thoughts, but processing the thoughts in a way that's actually constructive that actually solves the problem. Mm -hmm. So the need, the essence of the problem is this need for mental control. So Les, why do we have this need for mental control? Why do humans have such a need for mental control? And that's a very complex question. And what we can... You're, you're a complex guy. <laughs> I know you can do this. I think we all are very complex in that matter. So I, I think there are a couple of responses that I can I often offer my patients is that when, when we have this need for control, it's if we actually look at it differently, the need for control actually is an evolutionary process. So when we have uncertainty, our survival mechanisms in our brain kick in. The lower part, the more primitive parts, the brainstem, the limbic system, where a lot of emotions and you know tension in our body shows up, uh, a lot of the reactivity, you know, getting kind of hyper alert, all of that comes from the brainstem and emotional brain, or called the limbic system. So the first response I have and often teach my patients is that what the need for control is actually an evolutionary process so we can actually live again. That's one. And number two, depending on the family dynamics and uh, child adversive experience you've had growing up developmentally and also your life experiences, we learn habits. And sometimes uh, one of the things I've known, I want to share this with you, David, and my in the audience, I learned that I'm supposed to be in control more times than not because one of the things my dad used to do is basically he looked calm even at the worst moment, a flat tire, when someone is being rude to him or when something went uh, kaput at home, he was always calm, cool. So I grew up with this image, that's how I need to be. And, in the, and he did not tell me not to feel, but I grew up having, having had that modeling. So not, is it, not only is it an evolutionary process, it's also what we've been exposed to. My saying is your biography becomes your biology. So your nervous system learns to cope. Wait, and is adapt. this a lessism? Uh, yeah, it's an old lessism. Your biology well. becomes your biography. Sorry, sorry. Your biography, who you are, where you are, family dynamics, okay. environment. Your biography becomes your biology, which means right. 
system gets altered by your experiences. Right, because you program your reactants in certain ways and your reactions right. are physiological. Right. So, and that's and the third part. So it's evolutionary. It's um, it's now a sort of a nervous system that's unconsciously is adapting. Not It's not a maladaptive. We become perfectionistic. We have a need to control things, kind of suppress emotions. So now we are unconsciously learning and our nervous system becomes altered. And then the third thing is the things that we do um, behaviorally. We still have choice regardless of who we are and where we came from. So that's the third. So the answer to that complex um, question is the simplicity is there. this is evolutionary. It is an adaptive survival mechanism of the nervous system. And we also add to it during times of uncertainty, when we actually need to control something, the nervous system just kicks in. And so we've learned this habit. People who raise this, sometimes if they were out of control, will kind of say, I never want to be like them. Or in my case, my dad was always calm, cool, and collective because he was a naval intelligence officer. So I said, I need to be like him, but realized that I was feeling worse on the inside trying to suppress my emotions. Well, but also remember that anxiety is a physiological state, is a sensation generated by threats, emotional or physical, so you feel vulnerable. So the solution to anxiety is control. You control yourself in the situation that's causing danger. And so the species of creatures throughout the history of time that didn't pay attention to this physiological clue didn't survive. So that is why one way we need control because it's a survival feeling that we, yep. so you control it. So again, humans have consciousness, which is really relatively recent in the evolutionary process. So somehow life didn't really plan on consciousness being such a problem. So we have our thoughts become as much of a threat as physical threats. We can't escape our thoughts. So all of us are, are, are under some sort of threat physiology most of the time. And some people more than others. Some people can process it better than others. But my thing was with you, I'm cold. And I was a master of suppressing stress. And you've right. heard the idea that children are supposed to be seen and not heard. Right. Heard this one before. Mm -hmm. And we're taught to suppress. So you and I committed to trying to get through the topic of today, which we are probably not going to do because I'm going to, I'm going to digress. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to control, David. It's okay. Let go of control. Well, I mean, we, we honestly are going to spend the next few, actually quite a few podcasts on this topic because this is big. It's right. deep. It's sort of the essence of what we're trying to help people to live a better life. Somehow you have to learn to deal with these disruptive thought patterns. So time doesn't, time works against you. They get stronger with time suppressing them really doesn't work mm -hmm. experience them doesn't work and so you have a great life but you got these crazy thought patterns flying around but i want to jump all the way to the end of the story for a second so this hit me hard i was rewriting my doc journey and i was realizing that life is a big skill set so if you're going to learn how to play the piano or paint or do art or performance of any kind it takes repetition 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 and there's a book called The Talent Code about how geniuses form. And many of you have heard of Malcolm Gladwell's concept of the 10,000 hour rules, that genius happens after 10,000 hours of repetition. But what Dan Coyle points out in this book, The Talent Code, is specific repetition. In other words, this is what I want to learn. I'm going to make very specific moves to learn this process, like learning a language, for instance. The second step is master coaching. In other words, you want repetitions to be in a narrow range. The third part is obsessive repetition, or what he calls ignition. <clears throat> so it's deep learning, 
It's the <clears throat> coaching to stay in a narrow range of behaviors, whatever behavior it is, and then you have the, re the repetitions or ignition. So he points out that repetition of specific practices actually increases your learning by five to 600%, <clears throat> whereas just random repetitions actually decreases your learning by 15 to 20%. So in chronic pain, we're obviously looking for solutions. Same thing with these disruptive thought patterns. We think the mental pain, by the way, is a bigger problem than the physical pain. But let's talk about chronic pain for a second. So we jumped to solution to solution to solution, and that actually decreases your learning. So what we have found out is that if you decide you want to get better, the key to solving chronic pain is to learning your life as a skill to give you tools to live life more skillfully so you spend less time in threat physiology or fight or flight. So there's two parts to it, is you learn how to process your stresses efficiently, which there's lots of ways of doing that. And then you move into a better life. Those are separate issues. They're both critical. You can't move into the better life until you solve the problems on the other side. This happens every day. But what hit me hard was rewriting this part of the, uh, part of the process, actually looking at the talent code again, is that every animal is designed to survive, including humans. And so we get really good at surviving, but they're dysfunctional survival skills. We get really good at learning dysfunctional survival skills, suppressing, avoidance, catastrophizing, right. bullying, power, whatever it takes to survive, we will, both physically and emotionally. So that's part of it. So we get really good about learning dysfunctional coping skills, number one. Second of all, maybe you are the exception, you probably are, <laughs> Dr. R is a very exceptional person here. He's my guru, by the way. <laughs> Just saying. But here's the deal. Where in my life was I ever taught how to live and nurture a good life? Good point. Especially when I wasn't nurtured as a kid. So I was not nurtured. My father worked 100 hours a week. My mother was just flat out a rageaholic abusive. And so I had friends. But remember, you go to school, it's competitive. So I wasn't really, so the essence of, of living a good life is feeling safe. Where was I taught safety skills? That, that, now, now, Dr. Arya, that's my life. And I that, do know for lots of people in chronic pain, yeah. that, that is their life, a tough background, chaotic, lots of stress, lots of survival reactions. Mm -hmm. It really hit me hard. We're really expert and geniuses at dysfunctional coping skills. Wow, I, 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 that's a pretty cool way, the way you put it. And, and this is one of the things that I've been doing, teaching folks, including my patients, is that I, I really don't look at it as, as a bad thing. It's an adaptive quality. When you have a panic attack, when you have muscle tension, when you have chronic pain, you have a trauma flashback, when you have, it's, it's your nervous system, your brain and body, just trying to keep you safe. You're right, David. Nine out of 10 of us, maybe maybe that's too high of a number, but the majority of us basically have never been taught to feel safe with our thoughts and emotions and our, and our sensations in our body. And so we grow up not learning how to soothe ourselves. What we are taught is basically just basically suck it up or tuck it away. And uh, But the problem with that is when we actually grow up and we have life pressures added to it, it's almost like the past shows up in the present and we can't seem to escape from our thoughts. 
And it just seems to, I think you said it earlier on in this podcast, where it's almost like it becomes amplified and paraphrasing you. So whatever we ignore just gets paradoxically worse. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I have, do you mind, can I disagree with my guru here? <laughs> sure, of course. So you're, you're I, I think we're correct that we're not really taught to nurture cells, but remember life in general for every living creature is survival. So we get higher grades, we have better jobs, we put food on our table, we put, we compete for resources. So we are excellent at surviving. Yes. We know how to survive, but remember we have language, I call it the curse of consciousness, that sort of, so, so we're good at surviving, but we're not good at thriving. Yeah. There right? we so, so, so I see we say a panic attack is useful, it isn't, because that's, okay, so you and I know that we learn how to deal with anxieties, anger is part of our life, it's necessary, they are a gift, but how we process them is the key. So a panic attack is a dysfunctional survival skill. You have these racing thoughts in your head that we suppress, 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 or we act out on them. Those are dysfunctional coping skills. So what I have learned, which is a miracle to me, and we'll go into this maybe in one episode on my own story with obsessive compulsive disorder, yeah. is that you have these racing thoughts, you're surviving, surviving, surviving. Find ways to distract yourself for a day or two or even a year or two. So when I hit 15 years old, from ages 15 to 37, I had a great time. I was going a thousand miles an hour, going to medical school, new practice, new adventures, all sorts of stuff. And then I hit the wall with a panic attack at age 37 and I get freaking sick. So I was good at suppressing my mantra was bring it on. That's how I actually dealt with stress was, you know, I can take on an infinite amount of stress. And I keep telling my wife, and she maybe will start believing me, believing me here shortly, is that it's not normal to become a spine surgeon. <laughs> I think that's, uh, you know, that's- I, uh, I know a few people that, you know, have, I, I mean, I'm not saying every spine surgeon is abnormal, but for me personally, it was this obsessive tribe to do the next thing, 
really running from my past actually drove me to quote, be successful, but as a master at suppressing adversity. I was really good at this. But in the meantime, I was having rain in my ears, burning in my feet, skin rashes, back pain, neck pain, all sorts of stuff, but I didn't connect the two. I didn't realize that suppressed right. thoughts and emotions were creating physiological changes in my body. They were creating physical symptoms. So I want to get a little bit through our talk today because we're certainly not going to get through this today, but we'll just go a little bit farther and then we're going to keep this process going. So I just want to talk about the dynamic healing model. So remember, you have your input or your stresses, you have your coping skills or your nervous system, then the output, your body's physiology. So when your stresses or input exceed your coping skills, you go into fight or flight. So when you're in fight or flight, you, your, your heart races, you feel agitated, you're hyper alert. And that's fine. It's a survival reaction. But when it's sustained, it just breaks your body down. So I was a sustained fight or flight for years. Right. So what happens is that in dynamic healing, the whole goal is to minimize your time in fight or flight and to maximize your time in safety. So what I've learned with what we're teaching is that we're teaching you how to live your life as an athletic or musical or art form. In other words, yeah. okay, here's my life. I have adversity to deal with. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get really good at processing the adversity. So I minimize my time and fight or flight there. I increase the resiliency of my nervous system. So it takes more stress to put me into fight or flight. So again, less right. time in that physiology. Yep. I learned how to process input differently. So the input we're going to talk about now is the thoughts. Yep. You can't escape our thoughts. Every one of us has a problem with unrelenting, it's called URTs, unpleasant repetitive thoughts. And it's worse in people that are well-intentioned. Why is that? Right? And so that's the problem is that if you are a person who is well-intentioned, if you have an unpleasant thought that comes through, of course, you toss it aside or suppress it. And then every time you suppress it, you've actually given it neurological attention. It starts to grow like a parasite in your brain. So over 20, 30, 40 years, this crazy thought becomes a monster and it's a problem. So what happens if you're a well-intentioned person, you're going to suppress more thoughts. So if you're a sociopath, you're like a hot knife through butter. You're not burdened by. Right, right. Right. So it's, it's membership. So you have a thought. A lot of people have thoughts that come through. And again, people, I'm going to say more normal people than me. Um, you know, the thoughts come through. They don't take it very seriously. They don't react to them. So remember, when you react to the thought positively or negatively, you've given it neurological attention. When the thoughts sort of wander in and water out, they don't stick they don't become a problem in other words you see your body's reaction to these thoughts that actually cements those things in place so the more of a well-intentioned person you are these thoughts don't fit your standard what you should be you react to them so it's the most well-intentioned people that get taken down by this problem so then you have your unconscious reaction anxiety frustration heightened physiology you have these massive reactions that we suppress them which is even worse so instead of learning how to regulate the body's physiology, we try to ignore it, suppress it, move on, and it's the worst thing we could do. So again, this that we have an unpleasant sensation, it's a survival sensation. As you pointed out, that need for control is a survival skill. And so the problem is that you point out is that you need to develop psychological flexibility, but since emotional pain hurts, we don't really like that. So learning how to tolerate unpleasant feelings is a huge part of the solution. So before I give it over to you to actually give us our answers today, Dr. Aria, there's two issues we're gonna talk about in separate 
podcast, one of them is thought suppression, cranks up the nervous system like crazy, but what's even worse, which really makes me nuts, I still don't know what to do with this, is that when you're well-intentioned, let's say I want to be happy, the research shows you're going to end up being sad. Mm -hmm. The more of a well-intentioned person you are, you have this rational thought, okay, I want to be happy, but your unconscious brain protects you in ways that you might not be happy. So the unconscious brain is so powerful compared to the conscious brain. So research shows if you try to be happy, you're, you're going to end up sad. So what happens is the most well-intentioned people that can really do a lot of good on this planet are burdened by excessive anxiety. So it's called the seed of our undoing. And so what happens is that the people that can actually do the most good on this planet are burdened and crippled by anxiety. Where the people that are sociopaths are like a hot knife through butter. They're not burdened by good intentions. So this we're going to talk about the next few weeks is the thought suppression is one arm. And then the good intention is the other one. And so I'll say one more thing, Dr. Ari, before I will let you talk. But your job is to listen, for goodness sakes. You're a guru. Yes, yes. Uh, and I'm, you're, you're I'm a doing a good job with that. No, David, you, you're doing, you, your points are very well taken and you're on a roll. And I think absolutely. In, in fact, David, would you be, um, will, will you do this? your the blog you wrote um on how you know conscious thoughts really is so punishing to us if i forget the title of it um it escapes me right now is that the blog you wrote about uh, maybe it's the seat of undoing um it's you wrote that article about how the more we suppress paradoxically right. which ties because most people when they first hear you say something like this i'm not um hopefully folks can kind of comment on this is that people don't quite get that is wait a minute i thought i'm supposed to pursue happiness and everything will be better and the the intention of wanting to be happy is so much pressure much like i've got to get that a plus i've got i've got to be perfect i've got to shut my mouth or else i will not be loved and accepted that is the same paradoxical effect the harder we try the worse it becomes and, and so you are on a roll absolutely and i think this is beyond this podcast to slowly unpackage this so folks can hang with us and not be overwhelmed right uh with uh, uh overwhelming thoughts here but i have a i have a comment to make about what i teach my patients and it's not so much a solution it's just sort of an uh, an awareness and as david and i said when uh, you know we're going to hold off on the solutions but i just wanted you to give you i wanted to give a little nugget to you folks here one of the things I do, David, is um, as you're talking about when we have this thought that shows up, and uh, when we when we talk about thoughts, I just want you to just use the word also emotions. Thoughts and emotions go to hand in hand. When you have an emotion, you actually have a thought also. But so specifically talking about thoughts, David, one of the things that helps me um, is when I notice, when I can observe, when I can become the sky, and the thoughts and the emotions, all the clouds and the weather. And it really does help. I don't have to become them. Just kind of just noticing them and being the sky. It's an old technique in meditation. But even doing that, sometimes we can get ourselves hooked. So I think what you're really, really emphasizing this is to really be educated on the process that the more you try to be happy, the more you try to get rid of your pain, the more you try not to think about something, you're really saying to us is we're, we're really going to create havoc inside of us. Well, I want to go back to the talent code for a second. So again, to 
have a good life, you have to live a good life. It's a learned skill. Love that sentence. Love that. So for that's a Davidism, by the way. As I get one out of twenty. Yay, Doctor Hayes. <laughs> but it's just it's honestly, you know, one of my mentors challenged me is. Whatever you do in life, the question to always ask, little or big project, is what brings me joy? And mm -hmm. that's what hit me so hard is that we're not taught really effective survival skills. They're very dysfunctional. So what you learn, whether it's your website and process or mine, is the same set of principles, yep. is that we're teaching you skills or process stress, stress, process adversity more efficiently to minimize your time in fight or flight. But at the same time, every day, this is a day-to-day -day ongoing process. You also have to learn how to nurture joy. We're not taught how to nurture joy. We're not taught effective stress processing skills. So it's changed my way I phrase the doctrine. It says, we're going to teach you how to live a better life. And so the pain is going to take care of itself. If you spend your life trying to solve the pain, that's where, you're going to, that's where your brain is going to develop. Yeah. So I just want to, we're going to, um, so what we're going to do is to, I'll just spend just, a second next podcast we'll talk about a little bit a little bit about the true nature of ocd um obsessive thought patterns disruptive thought patterns about the thoughts coming in and the nervous system being lit up and we'll talk about that process about how what we call ocd i don't think it's ocd i think it's a universal experience there are some extreme examples of trauma that do into a different planet and I, by the way i was not too far off of those i mean i know trauma really mm -hmm. well and there's some types of trauma I think God I didn't experience, but trauma is trauma. Those emotional, physical, sexual neglect is all, it has a, a pretty, pretty big impact on the nervous system. So yeah. I just want to clarify, can I give you the orthopedic definition of emotions? Love it. Let's, uh, I'm afraid, but go ahead. Okay. Well, you have, you have to listen. I mean, you're the psychologist. I know. You have to listen to me. You don't have to agree, but you still have to nod your head. <laughs> David. But I mean, you know, this came from our friend D.R. Clausen, and we've been talking about this for a long time, because I always said, well, thoughts and emotions in my mind were always sort of confusing. So thoughts, unpleasant thoughts are the threat. They're objective, whether you experience the thoughts, they're unpleasant. If you suppress the thoughts, it's a problem. And then your emotions are what you feel. In other words, you're feeling your body's physiology. And so when you're in fight or flight, you feel agitated, anxious, whatever you want to call it. Remember, anxiety is not psychological, it's physiological. So you're lying on the beach drinking a beer, you feel relaxed. So just like relaxed is a description of your physiological state, so is anxiety. So the emotions, there's all a lot of words around these emotions that are pleasant or unpleasant. So that's where, for me personally, it's been very helpful to put thoughts as a form of a threat, and the emotions is what your physiology is. How does oh, that work? How does that I, work, you, Dr. Arya? That's not bad. That's that's. Um, I was. Uh, I was. Wow. Actually, I'm a little impressed. So I thought it was going to be something else more um, orthopedic-ish. Well, so, no, I, I give credit to Dr. I mean, Dr. had lots. Our friend Dr. Clausen is really just brilliant putting things together, and he's one we we just talked about this over and over again about this threat versus safety, right. and the emotions versus the thoughts. And so remember, thoughts are sensory input, just like hot or cold, sharp or dull, et cetera. Thoughts are sensory input that cause a reaction in your body. They're, they're interpreted by your nervous system. And if you are thinking about your boss, who's a bully or a bully at school, you're, you don't feel relaxed. Right, right. No, no, that's, that's, that's really nicely done. And, and DR is a brilliant uh, physician and thinker for that matter. 
So it, it sounds like, David, what we're really seeing overall is this is we can't escape from these things and we need to kind of really start to acquire some skill sets. But there's more to this than all of that uh, in all the podcasts to come. Hey, David, um, uh, do we have time for I love your metaphor about popcorn? Um, do, we have, do we have time to go over that? I think it'd yeah, be here's the deal. We're going to talk about this. The next podcast, we're going to talk about this in some detail back and forth. Um, but I had obsessive compulsive disorder, true, the true diagnosable version of it. Mm -hmm. And again, we'll talk about that in some detail in the next podcast. But basically, it's marked by dramatic, intrusive thoughts that you just can't escape. And I'll go, we'll talk about this on another podcast also. I was suicidal and I actually started to commit the deed because I could not escape these thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you have these vivid, intrusive thoughts coming in all day long. And I happened to read a book written by a psychologist who had OCD himself is that there's, um, there's the thoughts are centered, centered around four things. One of them is dirt, religion, violence, and sex. And so what happens, you get these thoughts that keep coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. And they're bizarre, despicable, unspeakable thoughts. And when I read this book, the first thing I thought is, I'm not alone. I mean, you feel sh ashamed of these things. They're crazy right. thoughts. So that's one of the biggest factors that hit me super hard is, guess what? This is part of the human experience. Second of all, he pointed out there's internal OCD. We, we think of OCD as sort of like hand washing or you know, walking up and down stairs or repetitive right. actions. But it's actually internal OCD is you, you have thought, counter thought. So it just went on all day long. So when, when I was in surgery, I was so connected to the surgery, it wasn't a problem. And for a long time in clinic, it wasn't a problem. But even in clinic, I started to become barraged with these thoughts because my strategy was suppression, suppression, suppression. So I do not have OCD anymore, not even the slightest trace of it. In fact, I probably have less of these crazy thoughts than most people. And OCD is considered a, an unsolvable problem. You can manage it. I tried every treatment you can imagine to quote, manage it or solve it, and it was a mess. So I've helped many people out of OCD, particularly other physicians. You know, I just sound, I've just done it off the record of court because I'm not a guru. I'm not Dr. Arya. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> but it's a solvable problem. But it's a physiological solution that is not psychological. And so I, I, I'm not, I'm supportive of psychology. Dr. Arya has taught me a lot about somatic psychology, which is really the key here. But the two, the two things that produce these thoughts, I just visualize one of those popcorn machines in the theater. And the seeds coming in are the kernels or the thoughts. And then it has to hit the cooker and they explode. These kernels are, these, these popcorn kernels are now exploded. Those are the obsessive thought patterns. So what happened to me is that as, as I started a process called expressive writing, you, can, you don't solve the thought, you separate from them. So what you're doing, you're diverting the popcorn out of the cooker. They don't even come into the cooker. Right. Of course, some of them get through. And so I still have a significant problem with the obsessive thought patterns or disturbing thought patterns or disruptive thoughts, whatever you want to call them. So about six months later, I inadvertently processed anger. In other words, I turned down the heat. Mm -hmm. So that's when everything disappeared. My physical symptoms, the obsessive thought patterns. I mean, it was unbelievable. The ringing in my ear stopped, migraine stopped, my burning stopped, my obsessive thought patterns stopped. And I mean, it didn't stop in a day, but over six months, all this stuff disappeared. And so the, the, to me, the essence of the problem are the thoughts that we're trying to deal with 
And again, there's ways of diverting the thoughts. Right. And then also when I turn down the anger or the fired up nervous system, that's when it stopped. Yeah, that's, that's really is, we have so much to unpackage in the coming podcast, David. I think, thanks. I, I really love that, uh, that analogy because it really ties into what we, what do we have control over, what we don't. And to let the audience know, and we'll be wrapping up here shortly, David, is that we may not have choices on how, what thoughts and emotions or sensations shows up in the body, but we really do have choice in how we relate to what showed up. So absolutely, Dave, fantastic. Well, but, but Dr. Arya, we, have, yes, we only have choices if we know what the choices are. I didn't know what to do. Correct, correct. Are we really good at dysfunctional coping skills? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're all programmed to survive. Yeah. But it doesn't mean survival skills are enjoyable or functional even. Absolutely. We're certainly not taught how to live a good life. So as far as the nature of the solutions, we're going to talk about, I wrote down three things. These are just very broad categories, and we're going to unpack these in the near future here. But the first thing is to divert or separate the thoughts out of the cooker, and then turning down the heat, the anger part of it. Right. And then I want to learn, you know, turn the last one over to you. And Dr. Arya, even though I've been speaking the entire podcast today, I want to give you the last word. No, 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 it's fantastic, David, because I, I think it's so meaningful, everything you've said here, and the audience, I'm sure, probably will be able to really identify with it. The last uh, one besides, and, when, and there's a time and place for diverting thoughts. One of the things we really encourage you is to get some space in between your thoughts. I love what David said. It, it's something that most, um, even therapists, psychologists, physicians, uh, allied health professionals may not really um, emphasize in your therapy or treatment, whether with trauma or chronic pain, is about the anger, the unexpressed emotions. And anger is a huge one. So I'm glad you brought that up, David, about turning down the heat, getting some separation from your thoughts, turning down the heat, called the anger. Um, and then the last thing, as David said, the, the third point here, some in general solutions is to, to truly give up the need for control when something comes up, uh, psychological flexibility, again, let me walk you through the, the three parts of it is in general categories is to notice what showed up, to open up to what showed up and to go about your business. It's kind of like if you have a difficult thought, that's when you basically like, oh, you notice the thought, you open up to it where it shows up in the body. And you basically, it's kind of like you write that thought on a paper, you put it in your pocket and you go about your life, re-engaging with what you're doing and things that are meaningful. David? Uh, yeah, I may not give you the last word here. So that's what you've taught me about the psychological flexibility term. Sure. I'm just going to tell you a quick story of a person on our doctorate roundtable who guy came to me about a year and a half ago, he had chronic neck pain. He also had a daughter that was really ill. Mm-hmm. And so she's homeless and lots of stress going on. Uh-huh. He's obsessed with the idea that the surgeon were missing something, missing something. And we struggle back and forth and lots of control issues, all sorts of stuff. So he disappeared for about six months. He showed up last week. His neck pain's gone. His back pain is gone. He's relaxed. He wants to work on his marriage. He let go of helping his daughter who he couldn't help anyway. And he basically, as he gave up this need for control, it was a miracle. He was so blown away with how he healed. It was unbelievable. And I again, these every time this happens, by the way, I think of the same thing. We know that it works. Again, it's a learned skill, how to process stress, how to nurture your good life. And so he broke through. And it's always around anger. So always about letting go. And he was able to do it, but he did it through a process that you called 
pendulation. And I do want to finish off with the concept that Dr. Alan Abbas is a psychiatrist in Halifax, Canada. And there's a certain mindset that I had that patients don't want to give up their pain. He pointed out that 85% of the patients referred to a psychiatrist cannot deal with the emotional pain. They have no capacity to do it because the pain is so severe. Right. Their coping skills are not there. In other words, nobody ever taught them how to do this. That he has a wonderful process, just one little step at a time, helping people feel safe, feel safe, feel safe. And this is what you do, which I've also learned, is that mm -hmm. learning to feel safe is a learned skill, learn acquired skill. So you're not going to solve any of this until you learn the skills of how to feel safe. Now you the last word. <laughs> I'm going to say as folks, that is well said. And I'm hoping that some, some of these things and these points have stuck with you. As you follow us on the journey in the coming podcast, we will unpackage this step-by-step. Step. So absolutely want to wish everyone an awesome day. And David, uh, well said. I think this is a very important podcast, a lot. I'm hoping folks will re-listen to this thing, write down a few points, and um, and definitely take a look and see how they can apply this just to kind of um, start working towards the solutions of not fighting what shows up, but learning those soothing skills to feel safe with those difficult thoughts. Dr. Arya, thank you. And okay. we'll talk soon. Take care, folks. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.